Eat up with tax, don't know what to do The Bryson's are here for you We know every tip and trick It's serious tax talk with a Louisiana twist Good morning, everyone. We're here today with Talking Tax. We have a little different format for y'all today. Angie and I are going to host this podcast. And another little twist is Angie's not in studio today. So we're trying this, uh, something a little different. So we hope you enjoy. Please leave your comments and thoughts. If you like it or don't like it, then uh, let us know something. So we're here with Talking Tax. We're going to discuss the offers and compromise. My favorite. This is my favorite right here. Uh, it yeah. could be your favorite. This might not be my favorite, but. but uh, <laughs> what is your favorite? Wait, wait, wait. What is your favorite? You know, it's definitely probably not. LSU football. Yeah, We're not talking, talking football about, today. Uh, it's probably not talking. It's about. it's not that time of the year. No, it could be. Uh, recruiting uh, is in heavy. Are we going to talk LSU recruiting? Summer practice. Oh, wow. No, well, let's talk about offers. Our team will hate us if we talk football today. You're right. You're right. I'm not the right guest for that anyway. Okay, so let's get back to offers and compromise then. I guess we'll have to talk about that and not talk about LSU football. So offers and compromise, I was going to say, although they're Angie's favorite, they're not necessarily (laughs) mine. Because I think they're the most overused and amplified thing, and it's what the national marketing companies rely on a lot. Take advantage of people, and, and I don't necessarily really like that. But I guess from Angie's perspective, they really are a great tool to use in resolving cases. And it's, you know, probably one of the favorite for taxpayers, because if well, they no doubt. through, they yeah. usually pay less than what they owe. So it's a settlement with the IRS. I guess from that perspective, it is good. I just don't like it because it's abused. And a lot of times that abuse ends up hurting the taxpayers even more. And yeah. I mean, I think you need to probably start at the beginning. I'm sure we'll, well get into that later. Well, we can. Offers is what, I mean, everybody wants an offer. How often do we talk with people who, you know, who come in and say, first meeting, I want an offer. I mean, I think the trigger for that is a lot of the ads that you're talking about that are on TV and radio, get a fresh start. And I mean, fresh start is sort of the the buzzword. Yeah. Well, right? tell us about the yeah. fresh start then. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, I mean, Fresh Start is it. I mean, it was an initiative created by the IRS several years ago in the government to assist taxpayers in getting a fresh start. For me, I think it's sort of like a mini bankruptcy, right? I know that's kind of a a not a great, people don't want to hear that. But when you owe the IRS, you know, a lot of times you need a fresh start, just like if you owe your medical bills, your house, and if you find yourself in a bankruptcy type situation, this is like a mini bankruptcy, as far as I can kind of look at it, to give you a, a new place, a new start to handle your tax issues so you can move forward. I mean, if you go online and you Google fresh start or offering compromise, all of that's going to come up together in one place. So I mean, with that being said, the fresh start program is what those TV ads and people use a lot to get people's attention to handle their IRS problems. So yeah, it's it's a fresh start. It's a way to get to, it's a settlement, basically. I mean, we probably should say the Fresh Start program is more than offers. I mean, it includes Yeah, 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 for sure. Offers, yeah. of course, is the most attractive. Because, well, it's not new is the thing. Well, that's what the gimmick is from the right. national marketers is they act like it's some new program. This thing's been around forever. It's probably it's yeah. as old as me. Well, and it's also not easy. So yeah. that's the caution. Yeah. I'm glad I got to slip that in and nobody caught that almost as old as me because it's not quite that old. But 
<laughs> yes. They've been doing some form of fashion of this for a very long time. Yeah. And it gets modified all the time. And I guess the national marketers kind of pick up on that and say, eh, get the fresh start, new program. Well, it's not a new program. They they just maybe change some requirements. So let's talk about just the offer and compromise under that. Program. Yeah, right. It's a very, it's probably, as far as I would say, it's probably one of the, the things that requires the most work, detailed work from us to get the correct offer and get it processed through the system. And that's because it's an analysis, it's a full analysis of the taxpayer. I mean, they're looking at both sides. I mean, they're looking at income, they're looking at, at assets. What you and I, and I guess what the, you know, we would commonly refer to as collection potential and ability to pay. And how are those, how are those arrived? You know, ability to pay the income minus the allowed expenses and the collection mm-hmm. potential is the, you know, the net equity and all your assets. Well, that, you know, once you get to those numbers, it's still, there's more work to be done. So it requires this very detailed analysis. Uh, and I think that's probably why a lot of them are denied. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably two thirds of them are just denied outright because the detailed analysis isn't there. And if you do it improperly and you don't qualify, you don't qualify. It is a, it's a mathematical formula that you have to meet to qualify for it. Well, I think that's the ticket. You have to qualify. I can't just make an app. It's, it's, and so the, the misconception, especially, you know, because we're, we're attorneys, the misconception is that someone can come into our office and say, oh, you know, oh, the IRS, uh, I don't know, pick, pick your number, $1,000, $200,000. I need you to settle my tax debt. And the misconception is that this is very much that that our work is like traditional legal work in the sense that I can walk into a room in a mediation type setting and say, I want to settle. And we meet in the middle and we, you know, put all of our cards on the table and we meet somewhere in the middle, sort of like a personal injury case or a business litigation case. It's not like that with an offer with the IRS. And this is the challenge we face a lot of times with, you know, getting on the same page with our clients. So you said it, you've got to qualify. And to qualify, you've got to go through that detailed analysis that you were just talking about. So that it's a snapshot in time with your finances is sort of the way I look at it. What does your income look like? What are your expenses? And how much of those expenses is the IRS going to allow? Because in their infinite wisdom, they have... (laughs) decided that there is a recipe for that, right? And then what does your equity and your assets look like? So do you have a house that's paid for? Do you have a camp in, you know, Grand Isle that's paid for or wherever, Colorado, whatever, on that second home? So all of those things get plugged into the IRS formula, right? And that's the work that we do on our side to see whether you quote-unquote qualify. You know, I was just thinking, though, you know, uh, we probably, for clarity's sake, maybe step back. You and I both are immediately jumped into the most popular one, the Dallas collectability offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There are, other, the kinds, there are yeah. other kind of offers. So, you know, there's the Dallas collectability, which we've been talking about, which is the, that's the, the financial one. Yeah. yeah the financial right. one. There's also the doubt as to liability and the, and then there was one that's effective tax administration. I think I've ever filed an effective tax administration. Have you, Ange? Do you, I think you filed some. Yeah. To me, you know, there's three big ones. Like you said, the doubt is to collectability is like, I can't pay this tax. Please work with me. My finances have changed or, and that's the one we were just speaking about. The doubt is to collectability is I don't owe this tax. And you've made an assessment against me improperly or, you know, erroneously. And for some reason, you now I have this tax bill and that happens. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've used that one. I mean, that yeah, yeah. will come yeah. up. 
not as much as the collectability, but that will come up. I mean, those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you have an audit that goes weird and then you can later prove that it shouldn't have happened that way or something like that. Yeah. The effective tax administration one is sort of a special circumstances. I'm older. I'm not working anymore. I'm disabled. It's in the government. I I may have some equity and assets that in a mathematical formula would look like I could pay this tax, but I need the equity or I need the finances to pay for my, I'm sick, assisted living, I'm older, like like I said, I think previously. I don't want to say it's a fairness analysis, but it's special circumstances potentially that where the, the mathematical formula doesn't work, but the circumstances need to be considered to get this person to a place of settlement yeah, or business or whatever. I think the one, the example that I was thinking of, thought maybe it was you, but maybe it was one of the other other lawyers in the company that did it. It was, it was an elderly woman. The, the house was paid for. Mm-hmm. They had equity in the house, but if they sold their house or went and got a, a mortgage against their house, either one, and got the money to pay the offer, they'd have a house note. or they'd they, Which they couldn't fund. Go rent right. or go buy another. So then they couldn't afford to pay any more notes. Their house was paid. Yep. I think they were able to get that through. They just disregarded the equity in the house. Right. So they were able to get an offer through that they could. That's right. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of what I was. Yes. But anyway, so not to make this too long, I guess we should talk about the doubt as to collectability. We'll kind of limit our thoughts to that. Well, that's the big one. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the one we talked about where they're going to examine your. Although I do, I will say yeah. with the caveat that doubt as to collectability is the most common offer utilized by tax professionals. But a lot of the other two that we were speaking about, a lot of tax professionals miss. So they're underutilized, in my opinion. So that's just kind of leave it there. It's kind of a podcast for another day, but. So let's talk about when we file the offer and compromise, the two forms that we need to file and what they look like. Why don't you tell us? There's two forms. There's the 433 form, which is the collection information statement for an offer. And that's basically the financial analysis. It's essentially a cash flow statement with some equity components on it. Here's your income. Here are your expenses on this form type table with the presentation. You can look at that form online. I, if you go to the IRS website, it, it's there's no secret as to what the form looks like. The artistry comes into figuring out how to present your income and what does that really look like. It Honestly, with a snapshot in time, what's it projected to be if you're self-employed? There are a lot of, lot of moving parts there and it seems simple on its face. However, I mean, you and I both know it's not always that simple. If you're a W-2 employee and you have the same income every month with no bonuses, then it is pretty straightforward, but it's not always that simple. So, and then the other form is, so that was the 433 form. The other form is the 656 form for offers. And that's basically an encapsulation and summary of the 433 plus some additional components. And both of them require signatures other taxpayers, if they're, you know, if it's joint liability for married taxpayers, and there's an attestation of perjury on there as well, which is, you know, that's why we are really particular about what we put on there for our clients, because you do sign it under penalty of perjury. I mean, that's a pretty basic overview of what we, you know, what we do, but it's, it can be time consuming. It's not an easy process. Yeah. I mean, I do it correctly. All the time, you know, the offer package, Mm -hmm. the thicker, the better. You know, so I want my offer packages, you know, real thick because I can't want, hurt. Right. You've got to yeah. have all the supporting documents to go with everything. You can't just say, yeah. you know, these are my bills. You know, you got to prove that these are your bills. Yeah. This is your, right. This is your income and this is your bank, you know, and how much. You yeah. Got, and yeah. So it's, it should be I a mean, relatively thick package. 
that you filing with the IRS. It shouldn't yeah. be uh, something. I mean, I've seen pretty bare bones presentations and, you know, clients will come in, as you know, with a rejected offer package and it's just the forms and there's no substantiation behind what. Yeah. And, and you know and, why it was rejected or. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's a whole different implication set there when you file an offer and it's not substantiated and it's going to get kicked back just basically on as a matter of yeah. course. I mean, you're interrupting the collection statute expiration dates, which is a whole different issue about a layer of, on what we do and how we impact our clients' lives. So, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that's on the slides that we have. I don't know. To go with this add, show. You know. Yeah, I would add, though, you know, in, in something that I see, you know, because the IRS will just they won't even take the time to reject it. They'll just send them back sometimes. <laughs> Not processable. Yeah. <laughs> if some things aren't right. I mean, and it's yeah. so frustrating. And even pass the smell test. Yeah. Can't, yeah. They just kick it. They're looking for a reason to get rid of the thing. They, you know, it's the last thing they want to do is to decide the offer. So well, that's a nice segue into well, the next yeah, slide. Okay. I mean, and that's, you know, the, the, yeah. the it's like uh, we've said before and before uh, in everything we do. The things that we need to address first, you have to be current, you have to be compliant. You have to be current, yeah. be compliant. If you're not current and you're not compliant, don't file an offer because that's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. You're wasting your money and your filing fee that you're going to have to pay when you file the offer. And they're the down not, payment. They're not, yeah, they're yeah. not sending that back. Yeah. They're going to keep no. that part, even though it's a, it's bad and it's missing, it's a defective as to form or something. They they don't return that money. Yeah, uh, because you've got to put a 20% down payment down, which is, you know, something we probably should talk about. But yes, a 20% so. down of the offer amount, not of the right. tax of the offer amount. And you got to, and yeah, then you got to pay a filing fee. Yeah. So you're starting all over with a new 20% deposit if you if you don't do it right the first time. Yes. Yeah. If you have to do it again, you got to pay another 20% deposit. down payment. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Down payment. You're right. So to be current, just to be in all thoroughness, so we could say, you know, current is we're talking about the current year taxes. If you're self-employed and you file an offer in July, you got to have your estimates up to date through July. Right. Uh, or the IRS is not going to take it. You know, in their mind, they're thinking is if we grant the offer, you're just going to default again because you're going to owe for the following year. So we're not right. wasting our time because you're just going to keep defaulting. Right. In uh, compliant is, you know, all your filings have to be up to date. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. So you got to get everything filed and you got to address the current year that you're in and you have right. to be prepared to continue on that process because in six months, if they look back and you're not current and you hadn't made any more estimates, they're going to send it back. Yeah, they're probably going to send it back without even rejecting it. They're just going to send it back and say it's not processable. So, so well, they send it back and yeah, they'll send it back and say you're not current. Yeah, you're not I current. Mean, Boom, you're out and it's yeah. 20%, like we talked about. So, it's very important that some of that our taxpayers, if they're going to file the offer, that they're current and compliant before they ever file the, 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 the thing and they remain current and compliant during the process. And I guess we need to add, even if the offers granted, they have to meet the filing requirement for five years and they have, they can't incur any future liabilities for five years. So we need to make sure we, that's clear and people understand that because they're not going to get a refund for a couple of years. And they're also not going to, uh, you know, if they miss filing in year four, it all comes back. I'm it's interesting you say that. I'm working on a case right now for a client that we got a really good offer for and it defaulted because of that. You know, we did our, our due diligence for him and warned him and, you know, I don't know what happened. I mean, I can't, you know, of course I wouldn't say anyway, but I mean that we, it happens to people where they get really nice offers and settlements and then they don't follow up or follow through. So, I mean, I guess the, the caution would be make sure you stay engaged with a good tax professional, your CPA tax preparer and stay current. I mean, we talk about this all the time in other contexts, right? There are things in life that are journeys and there are things that are destinations. 
and taxes there's not there's no destination it's a journey you know? i mean it's going to be with you for the rest of your life unless something dramatic happens uh, so once we get the offer that's just kind of a, that is back to the beginning that's a fresh start to the rest of your journey <laughs> but you still have to stay in the journey you can't go back to old habits. no and you know, no otherwise you're yeah. back in the ditch and you're digging back out of a hole right. right and i would add i mean kind of wrapping everything up i guess you know the offer acceptance rate you know is not that great no. Uh, way, way, way back when, you know, it was 10% or so. It is going up a little bit. They have loosened some of the rules and it's getting mm -hmm. better. It's probably mm -hmm. up to a third or something. Is it 30, 33%? Yeah, it's about 33%. Yeah. yeah. You know, the acceptance rate, which is still not mm -hmm. great. There are a lot of other issues that are involved following the offer. So, and then I guess another misconception about the offer that I feel like we would have to talk about just to make sure people know before they would try to follow one is that it's not quick. It took no. a very long time. No. You, I mean, what the yeah. last one you fought, how long did it take to come through? So the kicker is they pretty much always get denied. When you file an offer, it gets put in line, essentially. So it goes to an offer examiner. And that examiner is not necessarily, you know, in the in the IRS hierarchy. That person's not at the top of the totem pole. So the examiners look for the things that we were just talking about. Are you current? Are you compliant? They're doing, I want to call it a jurisdictional check. So like when we worked at the Louisiana Supreme Court, you know, do we have jurisdiction? Right. So they've got to check all those black and white items off. And if one of those is not met, they're looking for every opportunity to kick it back. Right. That's what I tell my clients. That person's job is to kick that thing out without it being. Boom. Yeah. So At anything first, you do, no signature, it's gone. You know, right. No payment. It's yeah. gone. No payment. No, no, no. no form um, missing. It's processing gone. Processing fee. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, looking for reasons to get it to not have to decide the offer. So, you know, from if you filed one today, it could be up to eight months before that person, the offer examiner, picked it up to review it. And then there's some back and forth and, you know, create a lot of, you know, no, we disagree. No, we disagree. And ultimately, more than 80 percent of those get denied by the first offer examiner level. And then we have to appeal. So, you know, we get over, I mean, close to 80 to 90 percent of our, our offers are resolved with appeals. Uh, wouldn't you agree? At least. Well, I think, I, I mean, the last time I looked and, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a while, but I, the last count I did, we were close to 90 percent of our offers ultimately being accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's because that we're so to, diligent. But we also don't file junk. I mean, no, so, no. We, you know, we know we had a, we pretty much know before it goes in or out, whether you look that you're not doing a client any favors. If you tell them I'm going to get an offer no. and you're not transparent with, I mean, I had a conversation with somebody last week. I'm happy to file this offer for you, but this is not in your best interest. And here's why this person was very appreciative. Like, thank you for telling me the truth. I needed to hear sometimes delivering a hard message is, is hard, but People are appreciative most of the time. So most of our stuff gets resolved with appeals because those people have discretion to think out of the box, deviate from some some hard lines. And that takes, I mean, from start to finish, from filing to offer examiner to appeals is it's a good 18 months, if not longer. And, you know, COVID has thrown a whole new wrench in good ways and bad ways for for the whole everything we do, frankly. Um, I mean, we've actually gotten some offers accepted that we filed a long time ago just perfunctorily because I think they're past the 24-month consideration mark and they were good offers. Yeah. So they just were deemed accepted by under the, the statutes. So. Well, now, you know, before that was rare. 
they've just denied it. Right. Yeah. Now it's, yeah. it's, you know, we yeah. having to pay attention to that, uh, the 24 month rule. There's a lot of, lot of noise about that right now. Okay. I mean, the only thing we haven't talked about is the collection statute, which we can do pretty quickly. And the caution with that. The fact that it tolls the statute that it stops it from running. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, you know, the IRS has 10 years to collect your tax from the date that it was assessed. So that's just a general rule. But when you do things that would stop the IRS from collecting that tax, the time period is suspended. That time and, and filing an offer and compromise does stop collection. So when you do that and it stops collection, that time that it stopped or it's pending suspends the statute. So it's basically added on to the end. So you're giving right. the IRS more time to collect the tax. And unfortunately, you know, and I will say I have seen offers filed months before the statute's about to run. And the IRS gets a, you know, basically time to regather itself and collect the tax. Um, Another reason to make sure that it's in your best interest to propose a settlement agreement. You absolutely need to know all the facts and then right. what's the appropriate time to file the offer. Because right. uh, it's timing. And it could yeah. be certain time, you know, most offers are for more than one tax period. Some of the earlier filed tax periods, we should say, statute may be able to run. So you may have to wait a little bit and let those statutes expire and then file the offer for those ones with a more, with a viable statute. So, yeah, I mean, you met with a client yesterday where that there's no reason to file an offer because right. there's, there's no, yeah. It's a waste of time, right? Right. It, that you yeah. Had better, yeah, had better options for a resolution. And that's it's perfectly legal, right? Because there is a collection statute for a reason. And, you know, if the IRS is not pursuing collections and you're not at risk for levy or active collections, then it's okay to just sit back and watch. But I've seen a lot of professionals mess up and file offers for clients. It's just a very important factor that needs to be evaluated before, even if you file your own offer before you do that. Okay. Well, I think that's probably enough. You know, the the offering compromise, If certainly if you have any questions or comments or anything, please leave us those questions. We're going to post the, the slideshow in the note, the show notes, I'm thinking, uh, once we get everything. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Rookie podcasters. <laughs> Hopefully so. Yes, yeah. That's our intent anyway. I mean, any questions can go to com, So somebody can field those and we can ourselves. Okay. Well, thank you uh, for joining with us today and we will talk to you soon, hopefully. Next time. Bye-bye.